Okay, um, we'll be looking at chapter 2 this afternoon, and uh, it's a real fairly short chapter anyway, but we'll probably take at least the first uh, 12 verses um, and look at those. Okay, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who testeth our hearts. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness." Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls." because ye were dear unto us. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameable we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and encouraged and charged every one of you as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for calling us unto your kingdom and glory, that we will be glorified with Christ when he comes again, And we do thank you, Father, for the gospel of God, the gospel which leads us unto repentance and faith in Christ, the gospel which charges us to live holy lives, the gospel which nurtures us and ministers to us of the milk of the word of God, that we might grow up into the meat of the word of God. And we thank you, Father. We ask your blessing upon your word and by your Holy Spirit you will minister it to us. For we are your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we, um, as we look at this passage, we, we see there are some good things here concerning the model servant, or the true servant's efforts. As we think about being a servant, we, we know that it means 
for us as believers that we would desire to be servants of the Lord and to minister um, in those things that Christ would require of us. And here is the apostle and he is making himself known to them as servant, a servant. Um, and that he desired to please the Lord and to serve as one who truly was yielded unto Christ to preach the gospel of God. You notice that phrase is used more than once here. It's used in verse 2 at the very end, unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Again, he uses it in verse 8, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. And then he uses it again in verse 9, not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. And so he, any time that we find that there is a, uh, a repeat of something and more than once and twice and then three times, it must hold a pretty close um, importance to what is being said. And we really do not have any message unless we preach Christ and Him crucified. Amen. We do not have any real commission to go unless we go in the name of Christ and to the glory of God. And Paul believed that it was his servanthood to preach the gospel of God, to preach Christ, and to carry that message unto others. And especially when it comes among the brethren, uh, we don't have any right or any other any responsibility or any other commission but to but to name the name of Jesus among the brethren and to extol the virtues of Christ and of the gospel of salvation. This is where the gospel of God is proclaimed most thoroughly and adequately to our own fellowship among God's own people. Yes, we are to take it out into the world, but we, uh, when we come together, it is the main subject matter of what we speak and what we believe. And so here, um, the true servant's efforts, one, labor not in vain. The Apostle Paul didn't labor, consider that his labor was in vain in any way. And, and here he was uh, serving uh, as one who was imprisoned. But yet he considered not that his labor was in vain at all. The true servant's efforts are not to... Uh, are bold to speak the gospel. Um, we have no other topic to talk to talk about. <laughs> uh, there is, there is. You may know sociology. You might know psychology. You might know uh, various kinds of um, uh, humanistic philosophies. But those that we're not called to preach, those we're called to preach Christ, the gospel of God. That is what we are called, and we're called to preach boldly that. Uh, the true servant's efforts are not to please men but God. Um, you know, here is one that, of course, should stand out very much for us, that we 
should not be saying what we are saying just to please people. Um, the message of Christ is, is important. It's that important that we cannot bear to speak any other thing uh, to tickle people's ears, but we must speak only the truth of the gospel. Um, I was a little bit um, surprised and happy um, that um, Newsmax, I don't know if you listen to Newsmax, I turn it in, tune it in in the morning because it's really the only news venue that I find that has anything to say that I want to hear. Um, the other mainline news medias are all pandering to some celebrity or the latest uh, little thing that's out there on the block somewhere. But Newsmax talks about the news, he talks about the issues that matter to people in the political realm. But anyway, um, they have two different kinds of religious um, commentators, if you will, on there. One is Catholic, Roman Catholic, and of course you, we all know where that goes to. And there may be people that listen to it, and it may have some merit to some extent, but probably not in the same way that you and I would measure it. Um, but there's another guy that, that uh, they do allow to comment, and his name is Jack Hibbs. And uh, he speaks the truth. Uh, I don't know how nationally known he is. I've, I've listened to him a few times, actually quite a few times, and most of what he says is really pretty much on target. And he speaks truth. And uh, usually Newsmax will interview him, and he will, he will tell it like it is. He will speak the truth. Uh, as a believer, as a Christian, he will, try, he will speak the truth about the issue. And I, and I think that's good. He, in other words, he isn't trying to tickle their ears. You know, politicians, if they go on there, they want to say something that's going to um, appeal to somebody. And, uh, and they don't mind uh, tickling people's ears if they have to, 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 to get their message out. Uh, but Jack Hibbs didn't. He, no, he, he, this morning he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth. I said, yeah, there he's speaking the truth. That's good. That's good. And we should do that. I mean, sometimes it's difficult, isn't it? You know, the, the particular group of people that we might be talking to, sometimes it's difficult. But we, we know that um, we have to speak the truth. Um, we might not dump the whole card on them all at once. You know, we, we, we might choose our words the best that we know how. But speak the truth. We have to do. And, and that's what Paul did. He, he did not speak to please men, but God. Um, a true servant's efforts, words uh, are not spoken in covetousness. Um, you know, in other words, he, as we might say in a Western style, he shot from the hip. <laughs> he, you know, he spoke, he, whenever he spoke, he just said it and it was he didn't have some ulterior motive about gaining somebody's gaining some influence over somebody or something or something some benefit to himself. Um, and I think that's important that we do. Words are not to be spoken in covetousness. Um, and of course, there's a lot of different areas that can touch on. Um, a true servant's efforts are gentle among those they serve. 
I think this is p- perhaps a, an area that sometimes is overlooked. We do need to use the gentleness, and he goes into a couple of different illustrations of it. One is the, as a nurse. Well, you've ever been in a hospital? Which kind of a nurse are you looking for? A gentle nurse? Uh, that old rough one that comes in there and wrestles you around the bed like you was uh, uh, an old teddy bear that needed to be shaken up a bit. You know, gentleness is good. Gent- gentle and apt to teach. I think, t- I think that Paul did mention that in one particular spot in the pastoral epistles. Be gentle and apt to teach. And so that's good too. And then the other one, the other illustration he uses, the illustration of a father. Well, we know a father is um, kind of a disciplinarian. Well, we do need to be disciplined every now and then. Gentleness, a mother gives, nice, gives gentleness. Well, a pastor is too, is, is too well. But there's also to be the um, loving efforts of a father to a child, to, to discipline and to correct and to exhort. Uh, so he uses both illustrations here in this passage. Uh, a true servant's efforts are, are labor and travail to preach the gospel. Labor and travail. Well, both of those, we get a sense of there is some great constraining effort that we have to put forward to labor and travail over something. We can't, be, can't give, it, give up too quickly, can we? We have to see the thing through. We, we have to stick with it long enough to make a difference. Well, it doesn't matter, you know. Do not, the scripture says, don't despise small things. God allows small things as well as big things. You know, and, and in a sense, you know, we're, we're all somewhat small in the, in the sight of God, aren't we? But yet God has called us to himself. You know, and, our, and, and so what, do we, what we desire to do is be true and faithful to God. A servant is to be faithful unto God. Well, you know, here we are in our little small congregation. We might say, oh, why bother with that little small congregation? It's really, what does it amount to? But in God's view, it amounts to a lot. It amounts to a lot. God is long-suffering to us would, and he is not willing that any should perish. The word willing there does, is a word that means desire. It does not mean elect. God desires that all men should repent. But if he elected all men to repent, well, there wouldn't be any need for us, would we? It would just happen anyhow. But then God desires, you know, God is long-suffering to us with the us with is you and I as believers. Previous in that passage, he's, he's talking about those who scoff at the coming of Christ. And he's trying to comfort those who should be waiting for the coming of Christ. And he's trying to encourage them and to tell them that God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But what? That he is long-suffering. Well, God is still long-suffering, isn't he? 
Um, I was reading in Luke this this uh, week in my daily devotions and Luke chapter 17, I think it says, he, he talks about the coming of Christ and as it, as it would be in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Um, and then chapter 18, he mentions when the Lord comes, will he find faith on the earth? And we are reminded God is long-suffering. He is long-suffering to us would. To us would. You know, the New Testament is written to believers. It's addressed to believers. Yes, we, we study it and we examine it and we take it to the lost too because we know that it tells the story of salvation and the hope of eternal life. But it's written to usward, to you and to me. And he is not willing that any should... He doesn't desire that any man perish in their sin. Well, our labor and travail to preach the gospel then is in all these things, isn't it? It is. Well, I'm, as they claim you know, you're supposed to preach the, first, the message in ten minutes and then you go back and you kind of open it up a little bit. So we've already preached the message. Now we'll go back and look at some of these verses just a little bit more. Verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain. Well, Paul could point back to some things that happened to him. Um, you know, Ed Seeley uses that verse for the furtherance of the gospel, that everything that happened unto him has happened for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, I wonder if we can say the same thing. Or shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be able to say the same thing? The things that have happened unto us are for the furtherance of the gospel. Does God mean for, for us to be called and saved and brought unto eternal life simply so that we can just sit back and do nothing? Or does he mean for us to do something? In other words, the furtherance of the gospel. Seems like the furtherance of the gospel is in there for you and I. And Paul knew it. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. And, um, you know, some might look at the life of the Apostle Paul and said, well, it went downhill after he, after he gave up being a Pharisee. He, he got struck down on the road to Damascus. He turned blind. And then they put him on a, on a ship and became shipwrecked along with many other scourgings and beatings and so on and so forth. Uh, he went before uh, Felix and a few others and ended up in the prison in Rome and he said, well, I, I guess he really didn't amount to much. But in actuality, he was every place God meant for him to be in every single circumstance of his life. Just think about that a minute. Do you believe that you have been everywhere God meant for you to be in every circumstance of your life? I hope you do. I hope you do because I believe that that is true for the believer. See, God means for us to 
be involved in the things that will honor and glorify Him. And just how that's going to come about and what kind of things He's going to do in our life to make that all possible, we are in the school of hard trials, labors and trials. We're in the school of labors and trials, but they're not in vain. You see, they're not in vain. So you're right here, right now. And God means for you to be here at this time. And He has a purpose for it. But even after we had suffered before and were shamefully treated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. And so he could look back and he could see the things that had happened. What happened at Philippi, the kinds of things that he went through, the contention which he had to suffer as he did, but he was bold to speak unto them the gospel of God. I don't know about you, but I, I wish I could say that with a little more confidence than perhaps what Paul does. Or is it much confidence in what Paul does? Because, you know, I feel like, well, I don't know as I've done that good a job yet. And in fact, I know I haven't. But, you know, that's, that's one area where the Lord somehow exhorts us that we might do better. In that personal area of living up to what he expects of us. But having to do with giving out the gospel of God, Paul could say that he did it, that it was not in vain, and even though things happened unto him, he did it boldly and with much contention. Verse 3, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor uncleanness, nor in guile. There was no underhanded things going on when it came to the apostle and his efforts to please and to serve the Lord. There was no uncleanness. There was no deceit. There was no guile. All was above board and truly, honestly, he was living out the very things that he believed was necessary, as we should. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel given, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who testeth our hearts. Well, it seems that God is always putting us through some kind of a little test. I suppose we've all been in school and had a pop quiz every now and then. You ever feel perhaps like sometimes you've, been, you've had a pop quiz in your Christian life? Just to see if we're on our toes yet and, 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 know, and know our stuff, so to speak. I, I think I do. Yes, I know I do. The Lord has given me a few of those tests. And 
I'm not sure I've got a pass, passing mark. <clears throat> you ever look back over some of your old test scores from school? Yeah, all kinds of red ink on the margins and everything. Well, this could have been better. You weren't very clear in this spot. <laughs> well, you know, um, I wonder how, what, what the Lord's notes are on, on things that we, what he has said. But then we realize that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he arose again the third day. And he reconciled us unto God the Father. And that he became the full atonement for our sins. And so our test scores are under the blood of Christ. We may not be too happy with them, but nonetheless, Christ has taken the full measure of them. Verse 5, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. So here he, he talks about that area of covetousness, flattering words and a cloak of covetousness. Um, well, we know what it is to covet, what somebody else has. And in the ministry, I suppose there have been, this has been probably a sin that has been committed as much as any, the sin of covetousness. But I think that's covered in the Ten Commandments, isn't it? He mentions that, covetousness. But when it comes to the servant of the Lord, one who serves, we know that we're to be very careful in this area. I know in all of my churches I've ever pastored, I never counted the money that came in the offering plate. I never really asked any, uh, the treasurer at any time who gave what. I didn't care. And I realized that you know, if God calls you to something or to, to a place, he will provide for it in every way. Many years ago, when Steve was just a little guy at the Mountain Church, and I was very young and inexperienced, Uh, June and Ernie Shackford, who were, well, I guess Bobby Ernie was a deacon in the church then, <laughs> way back then, many, many years ago. And we came back from Florida, and somehow I got a call to go to that church and to pastor. And I think it was $35 a week, something like that. That was good enough. And it seems like the church was so free, give, freely giving. I mean, we couldn't go into the house hardly, but there was food on the table and waiting there. And I mean, 
you didn't have to say anything, and you felt like you shouldn't, because if you did say anything, there was going to be another box or something laying on the table for you. <laughs> it didn't, you know, it was like, best memories I ever had, Steve. Some of the best memories I ever had. And uh, I think it's important in the ministry that we always try to serve without any coke or covetousness. He says, God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. See, it wasn't that Paul couldn't ask or shouldn't, he was an apostle of Christ. He had been given that responsibility and was placed there. And it was kind of like the pastoral office. It isn't a second job. The pastoral office is the primary thing. You know, they, they might, a pastor might take a second job to help out in, help out in the ministry. But the pastorate isn't the second job. It's the first one. You know? And certainly, certainly Paul knew that he had been called to do what he was doing. And I'm, I'm sure Dave could give a good account of the, of the ministry his father went into and how he served the Lord in many little churches all over around around here. He kept the little tiny churches open from the little white church in Eaton to the mountain church and some others that I probably don't even know. This one here, too. Uh, he kept a whole little, had a little file of little churches he would just go around and keep keep uh, going somehow you know they can say what they want to about the pastor because people will anyway they'll have him for supper and dinner and a few other things but if he's faithful he will do his job in spite of all of the gossip that goes on about him because that's the first thing. And so we find that um, he had no cloak of covetousness, nor sought the glory of man, but only to please the Lord, even though he was, had been given this, this title of an apostle out of due time. Verse 7, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished her children. So gentleness in the ministry is important. I mean, yes, there are some times when even the nurse must clean a sore and put a band-aid on and might have to put some kind of um, iodine or mercuricum or some kind of... Um, stringent on the, to cleanse the wound. The nurse has to do that too. But the nurse is gentle. And so the apostle, in all his exhortations, he is quite gentle. 
in all his uh, desire to correct and to to bless the people, he had to tell them the areas they needed to improve upon, as well as to care for them as uh, a shepherd might care for the sheep. In verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. So he says, we, in, every, in every desire to be gentle and to be helpful, we wanted to depart, give to you the gospel, but that's not all. We did it in view of our very life and soul and ministry that we might be faithful. Because you were dear unto us. Well, see, that's the other thing that really compels the pastor to do the things that he does. Because the people that he serves are dear unto him. I'm not in a gushy sense, you know, but in a, in a true heartfelt desire to serve and to please God on their behalf. He is desirous. Because they are dear unto him, he says. In verse 9, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. And so, number six, the labor and travail to preach the gospel. And it takes a lot of that when you're pastoring a church, the labor and travail part of it. Well, it isn't so much about earning calluses on your hands as it is about serving in a way that proves your desire to faithfully impart the gospel of God. The travail of which you go through saying, Lord, what do you want me to preach this week? I mean, even though you're doing a book study, I mean, that is enough, is it? I mean, you've got to still ask the same question, Lord, what do you want me to say? What, 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 what kind of, 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 uh, of loving care and gentleness and fatherly administration should I give this week? And every pastor has to travail over that and ask the Lord, and sometimes we don't come up with a very good answer. Sometimes the Lord says, just trust me. Just, just get up there and tell what you know to be true and right and good in the sight of God in the passage that is in front of you. And the Lord will give you what to say. And I think in most cases that's probably better than a prepared outline even though outlines are good. I've used them a lot. But even with an outline, you have to be willing to listen to what God tells you to say. And we find the, that travail that one goes through and that 
labor and to preach the gospel of God. You see, that's the, that's the, that's the goal right there. That I have to preach the gospel of God. How am I going to say this in a way that Jesus Christ is the focus of the whole thing? Well, that's, what, that's where we were at as believers. Christ is at the focus. Christ is the focus of the whole thing for us. And it isn't something, it isn't something else. It isn't a side issue. It's, it's the main issue. Verse 10, ye are witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And he, he could say this realizing that he was accountable to the Lord. As you know how we exhorted and encouraged and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. So he uses the illustration of the nurse. But even a nurse has to take the, to, to dress the wound. And then the father, you probably tell the child, now have you learned your lesson yet? Stop climbing up trees that you, you shouldn't be climbing. But listen to what I have to say. You're going to fall if you're not careful. And I guess that's probably every pastor's prayer we, that we won't fall. We won't fall. Because it's too... It, getting back up is so difficult. And it, it is a great hurt to many because people hold you on this little pedestal you know and you have to be careful how you stand on that little pedestal you could lose your balance and if you do it's not good I always remember David you know he People like to use David for a lot of illustrations, but maybe that's why the Lord put him there in the Old Testament, so we could use him for an illustration. But David numbered the people. Joab told him, don't do it. He told Joab, go number the people. Job said, don't do it, David. You're not supposed to do that. Why? Because it showed a lack of trust in God. For him to number his people, number his men of war, he shouldn't do it. He's supposed to be trusting God. Just for the minute we get up on that little pedestal where we're not trusting God, he's going to knock us off that pedestal. And David, he fell off his pedestal, and then the Lord gave him a choice. He says, I'll, you can, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a three choices. I think it was three. Your enemy can have his way with you. I'm trying to think what the second one was. I think the third one was, 
Well, it ended up that David, I think he said he was going to send a death angel among him or something of that nature to punish him. And David said in the, in the end of it, he th I think he said, don't let me fall into the hand of man, Lord, because they're going to be unmerciful. My enemy will be unmerciful to me. I'll take whatever you give me, Lord, because you're a God of mercy. And that, that's where we are. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of man. They're, merciful, they're merciless. And so David took what God had, had, had would do. And, and I think that's when he did send the, the death angel over the camp and they took like 20,000 or 30,000 men or something uh, and they, they died. And finally God, God said, it is enough. It is enough. Well, yeah, witnesses, and God also, how holy and justly and unblameable we behaved ourselves among you that believe. And you know how we exhorted and encouraged and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Sometimes that process is difficult. In verse 12, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So now we're back to the servant and what he is to do. It's all that we would walk worthy of God, who are called according to his kingdom and glory. Well, we pastors often preach to ourselves more than we do to the congregation. But what we say is, an, is the gospel of God. Seems like that, that phrase takes in a little bit more than simply the gospel of Christ. I mean, the gospel of Christ, you know, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But the gospel of God seems to include much, much more. That for sure, but more. As you good servants, shall we pray? Loving Father, bless your word to our hearts. Encourage us in the work that you've called us to do. Help us to do the labors and travail of our service for you, Lord. Not in vain, but to the glory of God. Because we do preach the gospel of God. The hope of eternal life. And Christ, who is our great Redeemer. I pray you will bless your word to our hearts. And minister to us according to your word. And by your Holy Spirit, for your word comes to our hearts and ministers to us and teaches us by the Spirit of God.
In all these things we give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen.